Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty. Today I'll be joined by Denny Carter and John Daigle, where we will be talking last chance players. That is players entering make or break seasons for their fantasy futures. Daigle informed me we've already done a similar uh, show this offseason, but we're going to really make this one count. Uh, so, you know, kind of like, will it, will it be never again for Miles Sanders? Will it be all aboard for Tyler Higby? after the season, that kind of thing. The, the truth may surprise you. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But first, Denny, John, I don't know if you know this, but Sunday was the final to the European Championships in soccer, popularly known as Euro 2020, mm-hmm. even though it was 2021. Uh, it was a game that featured Italy, our former colonial overlords, England. Uh, many people were excited about it. I was one of those people, but I was at a children's birthday party in Hannibal, Missouri, a town that is just 60 miles south of the Iowa border, a town so remote there was no reliable internet access, and I couldn't even follow oh the score. Goodness. Um, I was very tilted. I was very upset. So my question is, what is the most upset you've ever been about missing a sporting event? What did uh, whether for you know for a wedding, a baby shower, etc. What did you do to deserve this? Wait, you so uh, you had to go to Iowa for a birthday party? No, uh, the outskirts of Hannibal, Missouri, which if you don't know is the town where Mark Twain was born, actually, oh. and were based some of his the most enduring stories in the American uh, popular canon. But uh, it was a fun party, actually. I like the people too. I mean, I know them well. But yeah, you know, it was, Euro, it was the Euro final. And yeah, I couldn't even, fo- I just said resign myself. I'm going to be a score follower. I'll watch the highlights when I get home. And I couldn't even do that. It was very, very upsetting. Well, uh, you know, I, I went to a birthday party one time on uh, week 16, uh, championship week uh, weekend. At the, the party started at one, you know. So right at, right at kickoff, it was excruciating. And, you know, I see other people, moms, dads, checking their phones. I, I know what's happening. Like, I, I know we're all in the same boat. In fact, I commiserated with another dad at the party. I was like, who, who do you got today? It was like, oh, Jameis Winston or Rashad Perryman, some of this, you know, something like that. And so we, we sat there and we bemoaned the fact that we were going to miss the, the, the early games. Uh, that, that was about as bad as it, as it gets for me. 
The good news uh, is that'll never happen to you again because we would fire you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, quickly, I believe the Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl. The last time yeah, Ben Roethlisberger was good was happened to be my friend's wedding, and of course, it being his weekend, I had my own interest in mind and uh, was upset that he would book a wedding on Super Bowl weekend, yeah. thus uh, forcing us to drive around for like Sunday morning festivities to help clean up because I was part of the wedding party. Also moving from party to party that wasn't a part of this wedding to begin with, being in a different state altogether. So I would say, uh, I know it's your weekend, but also do your friends a favor and don't book your wedding on Super Bowl weekend because then they will probably miss a majority of it. That's that's tough. I mean, who, tough. who, who would do, who would life, do we that to their, to their friends? My wife's birthday falls in, in late January. I don't know if you're old enough to remember when the Super Bowl used to be in January. <laughs> yeah, so my wife's birthday used to fall sometimes on Super Bowl Sunday, and that, my friends, was not the not the best scenario, really. But John, so did you still see the game? Or it was just like, you were like, you were scatterbrained all weekend, you couldn't enjoy it the way you wanted, or did you actually miss the game? Bits and pieces. Uh, I saw the ending, which of course, as we know, was the most important part, that final catch to, to finalize the game. But yeah, I saw the end. And honestly, I think a lot, well, maybe not a lot of us, but I think I move around for most Super Bowls anyways. Uh, there's just a lot going on. And so rarely do I get to see like the end of product, but also I don't mind because it's kind of the end of our season. Like Pat, we usually fight about the final game blurbs. I usually just give them to you because I'm tired by the end and you're still willing to go for it. So yeah, like there's no work to be done after the Super Bowl for us. And so it's just kind of like, this is the end of everything. And uh, I don't need to see this. It's just fine. <laughs> I, it's the Super Bowl, like, you know, I fancy myself a bit of an elitist, like someone who likes to have interests beyond just football, but I, I wish this weren't true. I think the only recurring nightmare that I have is, is missing the Super Bowl. I, or I had no joke of a recurring nightmare about missing the Super Bowl. I've had no. the same dream like four or five times and it takes on like actual like nightmare proportions. Like my psyche, it's like such a damaging thought to my psyche that I have a recurring nightmare about missing the Super Bowl. Have you, please, please tell me I'm not the only one who's had the nightmare, usually in August, of forgetting to set their week one lineups and then tuning into the games and thinking, wait, wait, does that, is that touchdown good for me? Did I set my lineup? No, I didn't. Has anybody else had that dream? I have not. Mine are all Super Bowl related. Yeah, yeah no, neither of those dreams really have also set my week one lineups like two months early, if anything. Um, I will say I've only seen the Philly special from the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. I've never seen one other play beyond that and have no interest to. Really? I've yeah, yeah I've never once the Super Bowl like is cliche like is a total deal breaker for me. There's literally nothing short of a birth of a child that I would skip the Super Bowl for. Like quite literally nothing. Like either someone has to be like on their deathbed or, or my wife has to be in labor. Like the Super Bowl is just like fully non-negotiable for me. And and before we move on here, by the way, I just want to say, I know there are a lot of comments about the uh, audio foreplay we have, the five minutes or so buffer before we get into the actual segment on this podcast, but it's July. There's nothing happening. So for now, for the next three weeks, just move forward in your podcast five minutes if you want to get to the information. It's fine. We'll, we'll settle it down. We'll cut it down when actual stuff is happening. Actually, we probably won't, at least Denny and I. And I oh, really yeah, don't trust the Monday episode. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Don't trust the Monday uh, episode. The other episodes, I will make sure to whittle down to one minute at most. Yeah, we will not be doing that on this episode and never in, in season or out of season. And I will just say uh, one final PSA, like scheduling a wedding Super Bowl weekend, that's like weird, like really, really weird, like an uncommon one-off nightmare terror. <laughs> uh, what's not a one-off nightmare terror is scheduling uh, weddings during the college football season. And yep. uh, I, you two didn't really go to the big state schools. I don't know how into college football you are. You just don't have more respect for your fellow man. Do not schedule weddings on college football Saturdays. Uh, it kind of unifies the wedding, though, doesn't it? Like the, the same party, usually you're all from the same area. Thus, you're all interested in the same couple of games, maybe a few scattered bets here and there. I don't know. I kind of like watching from afar with the people at the wedding. I went to Maryland. I went to the University of Maryland. Did you go we to have, Maryland? I didn't we, know have, we have a football team. Okay. I I, they they tell me they they tell me we have a football team. <laughs> All right. So, well, there you go. But yeah, I mean, that's just my advice writ large with the popular. I know the fall is wonderful, but a college football Saturday, uh, it's a tough scene for a wedding. True. Uh, last chance players make or break players. It's kind of like 
like this is the season where, like if they don't deliver this season we can never trust this person in fantasy again or at least we can never trust this person as a tight end one rb2 that kind of thing players where we like keep touching the stove and getting burned uh maybe people not quite it's like joe mixon i feel like would almost count as one of these players but he'll always be too valuable or he'll never be like a last chance player but yeah just people that like we get hyped for every year in fantasy and then like don't deliver uh, we're going to start with Tyler Higby. This was Denny's suggestion. I thought this was an, a great suggestion because even before his like false breakout in 2019, the end of 2019, he was kind of like always annually hyped mm-hmm. and it's been almost the entire length of rookie contract or has not happened for Tyler Higby. And so Denny, take us through the last chance case, last chance layout wow. for Tyler Higby this season. I, I'm I'm shocked by the dismissiveness with which Tyler Higby has been greeted uh, in, in fantasy circles this year, I kind of get it because last year was horrendous. You know, people were drafting him as like a locked and loaded tight end one in 12 team leagues, which I, you know, was mostly on board with that. It turned out that you could get a better streaming option almost every week. The 2021 hatred of these fantasy prospects never seems to mention like the key to, to, to an entirely new scenario for him which is the departure of gerald everett uh to seattle that's a huge factor here uh you know we got to see like you know you talk about that false breakout in 2019 late in the season we got to see higby's usage in sean mcveigh's offense without gerald everett forget about the fact that he went nuclear and made the most of it that that's not what i'm talking about that's not you know we can't possibly project that for over a full season or even even a half a season or whatever i I get that but when you look at his usage, um, when Everett missed three games and then he returned for two more games but was not used, basically was, was relegated to special teams and, and a backup role. In, in that span, Higby was fourth in tight end pass routes, first in receptions, and first in yardage. It was a legendary heater uh, that can't possibly happen again, but it's no, noteworthy, like I said, for his usage more than his gaudy production. And there's also you know this issue of seeking tight ends with very little competition for snaps pass routes and targets like we did say last year with logan thomas i think he was like the ultimate recent example uh the other tight end if you want to call him that on the roster who's going to see playing time probably is jacob harris who is an insanely athletic 24 year old wide receiver tight end hybrid okay uh rookie by the way and uh, he, he's likely the only, only competition. Harris has been described by beat writers as a special project for Sean McVay, which is cool. And, I, and I, I'm into... We all know, need special projects. Exactly. Hobbies, things to keep us busy. And Sean McVay doesn't have enough to keep, keep him busy. Uh, so, so maybe in the long term, Harris is, is something, something fun for fantasy. I don't know. But uh, Higby would have to mess up uh, monumentally this year to lose that starting gig. I think, I think his floor is tremendous. Jacob Harris will probably be valuable in preseason DFS, but as a rookie, especially tight end hybrid wide receiver, like you mentioned, he genuinely isn't a threat at all in my mind. Uh, One of the reasons why fantasy football only gets bigger every year, it's not just sports betting, it's a number of reasons actually, but it's also because everyone's drafts last year's stats. And as long as everyone continues ignorantly drafting last year's stats, we will always have jobs and we will always prosper. And that's the issue with Tyler Higby. He led the league in run blocking snaps last year. And yet this year we can say it doesn't matter because it's an entirely new offense. So we throw that stat out the window. Even Matthew Stafford's MVP odds at points bet are 18 to one Lamar Jackson for instance is 17 to one as seventh and eighth overall in MVP Jackson being my favorite bet but that tells you that Stafford is not even a dark horse candidate for MVP he's actually considered a real threat for that award and just in that and in knowing the offense is going to change altogether since Stafford to Jared Goff is essentially like Alex Smith to Ryan Fitzpatrick it's just two completely different players altogether um one being good the other not being good so that's why I am much higher on Higby and if you look at my best ball tiers on the site I even have Robert Woods and Cooper Cup both jammed into the wide receiver two tier with the wide receiver six through wide receiver 19 because genuinely like I think the offense will be extremely explosive and we just need to value them much higher than their ADPs. 
I, I think we should have an entire show, by the way, on Matthew Stafford's MVP odds. <laughs> this is like rapidly becoming the, hey, look out for Matthew Stafford, folks. These odds, these are, wow, these are low, man. These are looking like a value out here, folks. So now they're getting, like, I think significantly right. overrated. <laughs> and I don't, I think, I would bet against Matthew Stafford winning the MVP, even with Sean, if Sean McVay, even though the, the league, everyone loves the narratives. And so everyone will love the narrative of like Matthew Stafford revival on, under Sean McVay. But yeah, I think that's one of those ones where it became so underrated, but now it's overrated. Danny, you kept talking about the departure of Gerald Everett. I was waiting to checkmate you with mm-hmm. the arrival of Jacob Harris. Then unfortunately you did bring up Jacob Harris. Oh, I'm and sorry. I checkmate you. And you preempted that argument. Jacob Harris, you guys laid it out well. Very intriguing dynasty. Well, somewhat intriguing dynasty prospect because he is 24 already. Uh, You love to be 24 years old and not have a set position. That's usually a sign of a great dynasty future. Um, All I'll say with Tyler Higbee is I understand like the irrational aversion to like believing in Tyler Higbee because that five game finish in 2019 where he had 85.7 half PPR points over the final five games in 2019. That was 82% of the total he produced last year and 24% of his career total, which is half a decade, five years. That's a pretty substantial amount of your production to have in one heater. And I mean, Matthew Stafford, he was kind of where tight ends went to die a little bit. I mean, he got Eric Ebron canceled. He didn't fully unlock TJ Hawkinson. It doesn't, I know that doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter, but Tyler, I, I can understand the aversion of Tyler Higby, but I think you have hit the nail on the head, Denny. Like it really is all about Gerald Everett leaving. Um, it's still a somewhat narrow offense, despite they've invested lots, so many resources in pass catchers, but like the only true, like two ones you really have to worry about from a targets, from a target share perspective are still Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And I, I do think he's being drafted. What is his Tyler Higby's oh, ADP? Yeah, it's uh, tight end 10 right now, which has kind of stayed stable. He's basically going around uh, Logan Thomas, Noah Fant, and Mike Gusecki. I, I, I guess you can make an argument maybe for, I don't know, for Thomas over Higby, but uh, the, Fant and Gusecki to me in redraft, I'd, I'd much rather have Higby. Yeah, tight end 10 sounds kind of more like Tyler Higby's floor. I have. Here. You mentioned Fan Jasicki uh, in my tiers. Like, I have them in a whole – even Irv Smith, I have them in another tier behind Higby and jammed Higby and Logan Thomas in. Logan Thomas, like Higby, is probably a product – like Higby last year, I should say, is a product of drafting him at his peak. But he still ran the most routes among all tight ends last year. So he's just a guy who's going to be out there. That's kind of all I need at that position for tight end. But so if, if Higby, say Higby was the tight end 14 this year, mm-hmm. would either of you ever draft him again? No. No. <laughs> no I, I, I mean, I would fi- maybe find a reason if he like dropped to like tight end 20 territory on a new team. And again, he was like the only game in town. And again, he had the starting gig all to himself. Maybe I could be fooled again. But if people keep drafting him as a tight end one, uh, then absolutely not. I mean, the dark secret of the show is there's really no such thing as a make or break season. Everyone is a value, a value right. at, some at some point. point yeah. But yeah, Tyler Higby, he finishes outside the top 12 at tight end. I think we can say never again. There are already people ready to say never again with the player I'm going to talk about. That would be Miles Sanders of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's currently going as the RB19, an underdog fantasy, a hugely disappointing RB18 by average half PPR points last season after he was universally drafted as an RB1. You know, now he's on a team competing for the number one overall pick. It's a new coaching staff with no investment in him. Uh, Miles Sanders, you know, to be a true, like, RB1, you've got to have, like, that pass-catching component unless you're, like, a freak like Derrick Henry. Miles Sanders has, like, fairly comprehensively failed his third down addition, and they still have Boston Scott. They drafted Kenny Gainwell. Game script's going to be bad, probably a lot in Philadelphia this year you're gonna be playing from behind a lot so miles sanders if he's getting yanked off the field mm-hmm. for even like half the passing down snaps that's a huge disaster the dual threat quarterback can go either way that can maybe help we've seen that help a lot of running backs but it can also hurt and jalen hurts is vulturing the goal line touchdowns and basically i can see this is i think so a lot of people are you know already kind of like after back-to-back disappointing seasons for miles sanders there's already people he's already on the spot and I could see this very quickly becoming like a never again type situation with Miles Sanders. If he's like the RB 23 or 22, do either of you have strong feelings on the Miles Sanders situation? 
I would not say strong feelings higher or lower than industry consensus. I am just slightly worried because everything coming out of OTAs and camp does seem like from Sirianni down to RB's coach, down to other positional coaches, that they are going to use a committee. Whatever we think of the players in those committee, like Boston Scott, Carrion Johnson, Kenneth Gainwell, it just seems like they have specific roles for them. And Miles Sanders could be the guy getting the empty points between the 20s, which is like worst case scenario that he's not used on passing downs and he's not a goal line option over Scott. So that is my concern. I did a piece uh, last month, I think, Who's to say, though? It could have been April or May. Could have been last year. Um, yeah. Uh, on, uh, you know, mobile dual threat quarterbacks and how they distribute the football. And, of course, this is partly dictated by offensive scheme. I understand that. Uh, but Jalen Hurts, in his very small sample size, uh, not looking for the running back. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think he, he passed it to a running back on like 7 or 8% of his passes last year. Not the best news, I don't think, for... <laughs> For Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, whoever is is in that backfield on on third downs, especially. So, uh, you know, RB twenty twenty two. I mean, it sounds right. He's being drafted at like kind of near his ceiling. Oh no! You know, I I really you know I mean not not right at it, but I could see him having a really solid year and finishing as like RB sixteen, something like that. Does that is that does that check out? And and, and I could see the team being. S- so awful and like you like you mentioned pat i mean they they are in the running for the number one pick in, in next year's draft so awful that sanders just becomes a guy who you you plug into your lineup in like a 14 team league and you just hope john what are the odds if any that miles sanders finishes as an rb1 this year like and he's talking mm-hmm. maybe being a ceiling is there any true ceiling left is there any percent chance he finishes as an rb1 this season The issue with that is that, as we know, like, let's just even go 12 through 15, the fighting RB1s, Sanders would have to get some kind of role that we don't think, like I mentioned earlier, he'll have, because then he'll have to beat out, let's say, like Clyde Edwards-Lair or Antonio Gibson, who is at least guaranteed to get a majority of the carries. Um, Najee Harris, who we know is going to get every touch, just could be on a very bad offense. Jonathan Taylor as well, who may not have a passing role, but is still a workhorse and favorable game script. So it's just like those guys getting those roles are up there for a reason, whereas like we don't know with Sanders. So I don't know, Denny, what, 10%? Is that too low as a RB1? 15? Uh, I'd put it at 10. I'd put okay. it right, right around 10. Yeah, so that's it. Probably is. I mean, there were extenuating circumstances with his failure last year. I mean, the offense just in complete chaos. The offensive line, super injured all last season. It's like there are alibis, but I just think he's like too comprehensively failed his audition to be a pass catching back. And not that he's even. It's not like he's caught zero passes. It's not like he's been Jordan Howard, but. I think they wanted more from him as a pass catcher. Like too often, Boston Scott has like looked like the better uh, like change of pace pass catching back, and and then just drafting Kenneth Gainwell. I mean, I feel like only reinforces that. And it's hard to have RB one upside if you have no pass catching upside. Even if it's an offense where, like Denny said, might not even target running backs that much, you just have very little path to RB one relevance if you're not catching passes or playing third downs. And they were higher on waivers when they claim carry on Johnson because yes. the Dolphins were high and the Dolphins were going to claim him and the Eagles actually leapt them for him. So whatever we think about carry on Johnson, like it's just a fact that he's going to be a nuisance, even if he's not valuable himself. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Denny, I mean, so what's your exposure to carry on Johnson? 80%, 90%. It's right around there. Yeah. I'd have to look it up. Another thing that I think freaks me out, honestly, about Miles Sanders is, Last year's reliance, his reliance on huge plays. And I don't have those numbers in front of me, which would have been helpful for this podcast. But uh, I I know that there were several games, both with and without Jalen Hurts, in which Sanders did nothing except for the one run he broke off, 70 yards, 80 yards for a touchdown. And that, you know, that painted over an otherwise very mediocre, if if not downright bad outing. You can't can't rely on that and we we all know that i think that that if you were to factor that in i think you would be fading him at his adp yeah denny so pro football focus has the breakaway percentage which is the percent of your yardage gain that comes on runs of 15 yards or longer and miles sanders so first off this can be a good thing like sometimes it's held against some players like yeah. oh so much of yardage comes in big play they said that about like adrian peterson you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. it can be a good thing 
but you have to usually be getting like Adrian Peterson type workloads. Right. Miles Sanders was 11th. There were some good players in front of him, like Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor. And that was actually kind of about it. <laughs> then it was Carlos Hyde, JK Dobbins, Philip Lindsay, Jarek McKinnon, Sony Michelle, David Johnson, Alexander Madison. So yeah, kind of like feast or famine players who are most of the mm-hmm. time famine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, this offensive line has to be healthier this year. There is the dual threat element. But just, there's just so many red flags against mm-hmm. Miles Sanders. Get an edge on draft day with our 2021 draft guide that's packed with hundreds of player profiles, rankings for every format, projections, tiers, mock drafts, custom scoring, ADP trend report tools, and so much more. Use promo code SAVE10 to get 10% off. That is SAVE10 for 10% off our amazing draft guide, which all three of us heavily contributed to. And really is amazing. Look for it physically on newsstands very, very soon as well. John, your first last chance player got me. I raised my eyebrow a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I, it's hard to see how this is this player's last chance. But you mentioned Ezekiel Elliott, and uh, that's last chance as an RB one, that kind of thing. What is this Ezekiel Elliott's last chance for this year? Last chance for an elite season, especially off last year's stats, which we've talked about time and time again. And there's a reason to define what happened with all of them between the offensive line falling apart, between uh, playing the second toughest rushing schedule the entire league. Of course, no deck Prescott means no engine for the offense altogether and more stag boxes. Whereas this is the year we ride Ezekiel Elliott as a guy who has potential for an elite season and one of the best offenses of the league but still 26 years old historically if you look at all these pieces that cite the falling apart of running backs it usually comes down to to age not touches touches are important of course but usually age is more important 26 like this is the final hurrah usually with those overarching pieces that discuss running backs just fading away entirely for their career but also the Cowboys have no choice but to ride him this year. He, of course, showed up in the best shape of his life, according to reports there by every player and every beat reporter. But there's no way they could get out of him. Like we talked about David Johnson being an untradeable piece. And then Bill O'Brien, of course, found a way to take on his $11 million. Even that was a lot, $11 million. But Zeke, you'd have to take on $36 million to be traded for him. So not a chance this year. Mm-hmm. But the $23 million in dead cap money, after his cap hit that the Cowboys would take on this year, even if they were to cut him and they're not going to cut him because Jerry Jones and him, they love the player that he's a friend. That's how the Cowboys do business for better or worse. It becomes much easier and only taking on six to 7 million in dead money next year if they cut him. So he knows this is the year he has to play well. And we know that like, this is probably his last hurrah as an elite running back in the league, no matter what happens with him, even next year, if he has a good season this year, which is what I'm betting on, like this is his peak. And then we trade him in Dynasty in 2022. But we do not trade him a second before because, again, I have been all over this for right or wrong. Uh, I believe, like, this is the swan song for Zeke for him to absolutely explode. He's only two years two years away from going to Arizona, playing one year and retiring. So <laughs> right. we, we have to, we have to fact that, factor that in. I'm on the same page uh, as you, John. Uh, we've talked about people's kind of revulsion uh, to drafting Ezekiel Elliott in the middle of the first round, sometimes even a little bit past that because of last year. But uh, we've, we've, we've talked through the fact that last year was really a worst case scenario Mm -hmm. for, well, for almost everybody on the offense since Dak Prescott went down, but especially for Ezekiel Elliott and that he played through injuries and he still got a lot of usage. And even though it was ugly, he was out there a ton playing tons of snaps, getting the ball, in, in our game, that's really what it comes down to. So I do think that, you know, a really big season, I don't, I don't want to say the RB1, but a really big season is in the cards for him. So, Denny, you're saying that people would rather draft Joe Mixon instead of Ezekiel Elliott than going to therapy? Is that kind of what you're I think that those are the three options. I think that they're going, going with it's, it's Zeke, therapy, Mixon. See, John, you hit an interesting point where you – you're talking about the running back drop-off. It's usually age. The age mm-hmm. is usually 27 or 28. But there, it can be workload. And Zeke, uh, you know, it's been a superpower that he stays on the field, but he's also stayed on the field his entire five-year career to this point and taken a huge toll and, you know, ran like a player who had taken a huge toll last year. And so the question I feel like just for this year was begin, it was last year the beginning of the, like the beginning of like an earlier downward trend for Zeke. Than we usually see with these workhorse backs or 
you know, was it a COVID one-off because he had the summer COVID case like we talked about? Was it the DAC and offensive line injuries one-off? And I, my initial, my belief too is that I agree with you, John. Like it, it was a one-off. He's still right in his prime for a running back. Things have to be better on basically every front in Dallas this year. The one, the one like sort of red flag is that even amidst the chaos last year, you know, Dimension Pro Football Focus again, I mean, we know, we know that the metrics like aren't perfect. The stuff's not perfect, but it is very oftentimes very, very useful. They have elusive rating, which measures running back production independent of blocking. And he was 31st last year, like the 31st Mm -hmm. best runner, even, even independent of blocking. And just, yeah. So we really need last year to be a one-off because there were just lots of signs that like the decline was already starting, but also lots and lots of convincing alibis. And, and Pat and I on Tuesday episode, Crane, uh, not this Tuesday, but 727, we booked a fight pod because Zeke has been an analogy for like the running backs not to take for some reason. What I think is just very clearly recency bias that everyone's baking into their process. Uh, I don't even feel like I'm saying anything or shattering or groundbreaking with drafting Zeke as a top five option uh, just because it's it's right there and it's so easy based on everything from last year. You mentioned uh, the lower rate stats for him, but of course, because he played the second half of the season injured. Um, he was still starting and still getting a majority of the touches, but he was on the injury report weekly and they just kept slogging him out there. Uh, that game he missed was also his first game to do to, he missed due to injury since his freshman year at Ohio State because like you said, he's a workhorse. He's, he's been an Ironman his entire career, so it's just an easy bet against last year an easy bet but again crane and i will fight uh over the bigger picture outlook too i think we have five rounds booked for that 727 pod so stay tuned to that justin and so good thousands of summer deals at your nordstrom rack store save up to 60 percent on new arrivals from vince rag and bone adidas joe's mark jacobs and more great brands great prices every day at nordstrom rack but hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. I know a lot of people are happy about Pat Crane's hiring at this website, but not me. First, first he muscles in on my name. Now there's two Pats here, and now he's muscling in. A, I mean, Denny, I've personally witnessed you draft a running back. I've never seen Pat Crane draft a running back ever. That I mean, is uh, he's that's stealing l- your brand. That's l- that's ludicrous, and you'll see so in the draft guide. <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. That's a good. Just you wait, just you wait, folks. There's evidence in the draft guide of running backs being, being drafted. drafted. Yes. Uh, the next player is another big name player, one that Mr. Denny threw out there, Mr. Juju Smith-Schuster. And again, kind of like John with Zeke, you're probably not saying like, this isn't like, like if, if Juju Smith-Schuster has a bad year this year, we're, it's not like we're never going to uh, like draft him again, roster yeah. him again in fantasy. But w- what is this Juju Smith's last chance for this year, Denny? Uh, yeah. So he's, you know, he's being drafted at wide receiver 30. So as, as a wide receiver three in, um, in, 12 team leagues. I think people will kind of give up on, on that, on the prospect of him outperforming that sort of ADP if uh, he doesn't come through this year, but there, there's a lot of reason I think to, to believe he will come through. So, you know, he returned to the Steelers uh, turning down better offers, I guess, for reasons that we'll find out someday. Uh, yeah, he would rather re-sign with the Steelers than go to therapy. That, that is absolutely the case. Uh, something about something about Pittsburgh. And uh, so he said in the spring, he told Adam Schefter that Juju Juju said he will be used on the outside more this year. Uh, and that, and that, like we said on a podcast a couple months ago, is probably good news. You know, um, for his fantasy upside last year, he had a, a pathetically low yards per catch and six, four, 6.5 yards per target 
which was a career low by a, by a long shot, while seeing 84% of his targets from the slot. Uh, in 2019, he saw 55% of his targets from the slot, uh, and he had eight yards. He averaged eight yards per target. Uh, the questions about his health in 2020, I think, continue to linger. Was it the knee? I know the, there were some lower body issues that were really never explained or the team didn't really go into detail about, but yeah, it was pretty clear that he was battling something. So perhaps his usage as, as a, just a pure slot guy was due to that. I think the overall assessment of Juju as a guy who did not deliver on like that alpha status post Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh is something that kind of hovers over the way fantasy managers see him overall, whether, whether it's last year or this year, you know, he was supposed you know, like the meme, you were, you were the one, like, you know, he was supposed to explode in that offense after Antonio Brown left. I think that people will lot, lots of people will dismiss him if he doesn't kind of break through and outperform his ADP this year. I do think that there's a good chance he will do that. He still is 24, doesn't turn 25 in November. That's yes. that's Same. a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, also, it's easier to swallow that pill in best ball since he didn't eclipse 100 yards in any game last year, but still provides a weekly floor that won't kill you. He'll always provide value in best ball, whereas you're never going to get him right in redraft. So that's why it's easier to avoid. But I'm still confused because – He's the only one at a camp saying he's going to play on the boundary this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, when, and when they asked him, like, well, who plays the slot then? He said, Ray Ray McLeod, which is like the ultimate shrug. He's like, I don't know, this guy. Uh, he's going to play the <laughs> slot for me. And I think that's because he saw, he tested the waters. He saw exclusively as a slot receiver, there's just no market for it. You're going to make eight to 10 million and you can't get the Kenny Galladay deal, even if you try. Mm -hmm. And so I think he wants to do this one year thing with the Steelers and hope for better options next year in free agency. But overall, like, unless they are throwing Deontay Johnson, who actually does seem like a great slot player, honestly, or Chase Claypool there. I don't know how they get away from Juju in the middle of the field. So I'm still skeptical. And again, fine with it for best ball redraft. I'll probably be avoiding. And John, when you were talking about Juju getting typecast as a slot receiver, I started thinking in my head, like, is Juju about to become the Duke Johnson of wide receivers? And like how sad that would be? Cause he should be more than a slot. I mean, he's a very good slot receiver. He should be more than a slot receiver. Well, the thing, Juju has at least had some success, right? Yes. He's providing something in the league, whereas Duke Johnson had his chance. And it's with, it was with the Texans behind one of the worst offensive lines, so that's probably the case. But he was handling all those touches in place of David Johnson, and he did nothing. He didn't break tackles. like He did nothing. So, like, there's only so long we can continue saying, oh, Duke Johnson led Miami and carries and all these rates from, like, college. Like, who cares at this point? Because he had his chance in the league, and he wasn't good. Has Duke Johnson been signed by the No, way? he's a free agent. Yeah. I, I mean, Juju, you guys already kind of laid it all out, but you mentioned yards per catch, which we know is very highly imperfect measure of player performance. But when it's an outlier, you definitely take notice. And 8.6 yards per catch is not just like an outlier for a wide receiver. It's basically unheard of. Like 8.6 yards per catch, you're like, that's solid for a running back. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like, that's a really good running back reception season. You're like even a tight end, like even Jason Witten would be like, yo, 8.6 <laughs> yards per catch, man. Like we gotta, get, we gotta get our stats <laughs> up here. Um, and but it's just had the way they use, it wasn't just being in the slot. It was, his average intended air yards last year decreased from 9.6 in the Mason Rudolph Duck Hodges 2019 mm. to 5.8 oh. last year. Oh, I mean, just an astonishing collapse of his usage. And so, like, his eggs are kind of in his, you know, he's putting his eggs in, I'm going to play outside more basket, where it's really about like, is Ben Roethlisberger's arm going to regenerate at the age of 39? And, you know, Ben is claiming that will happen. And uh, I'm freaked out, by the way, about that prospect, Pat. You know, he explained, I think we may have touched on it. Brought Roethlisberger explained that he had like an elbow replacement last year and that it takes time for that. to. He like, basically described Tommy you know? John surgery. Yeah. Even they never used those words. And right. And so could it be a year removed? He actually does regenerate some arm strength. Please, uh, If that's the case, I'm cooked at best ball. 
And for Juju, it was also easy last year because we said, okay, there was a 23, there's only so many 23-year-olds ever to have 2,900 receiving yards. Like that alone has to mean you're talented. You're doing something right. And of course, we were questioning him without Antonio Brown. Like maybe he had a down year the year prior because Antonio Brown, the alpha, was no longer available to take the best coverage away. But then last year to have two other uber-talented receivers, uh, even though we know Claypool wasn't a full-time player just yet, and then to still come back with those marks and in, in those categories. It's just something's up. Something's not right. And this is, like you said, the last year to uh, – we're going to really see what is in store for Juju's career. Yeah, I mean, the third year post-Antonio Brown, we, we, we have to see, like, another – a level that we did not see at all the past two years. The British Open is back, folks. It is the 149th Open Championship. Once again, America will begin their day watching the best golfers in the world compete on the rugged shores of the North Sea at Royal St. George's Golf Club in England. The Open Championship, Thursday to Sunday on NBC, Golf Network, and Peacock. Surely you guys won't be having any degenerate behavior related to the Open Championship. Oh, I, if I know you guys. Going all in. Yeah, if you want to go Inception, uh, my digital horse is named Jordan Spieth, and I will sell it for one or two ETH if you want to DM me. Denny has no idea what I just oh said, but just DM me. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I would say Pat has no idea what you're okay. talking about. No, either. I vaguely do, but I still am rattled to my core. On Twitter, at CDCarter13, I will give you the you know least informed golf dfs takes on the internet i guarantee you that he guarantees you that and i guarantee you now for an informed take on evan ingram who is a last chance player for me and john i will preempt an uh, argument john made to me in a text was that it's hard to call him a last chance player because he's about to be a free agent he'll probably be with a new team last year you know evan ingram he barely so first off, I'll pre Evan Ingram's a guy who in four years has already had two one hundred target seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's like Martellus Bennett and a like a talented tight end who just got buried on his rookie contract, and, you know, just didn't get any opportunities because he's playing behind a super talented player. He's had two very high usage seasons, one of which was last year, and he barely cracked the top twenty and half PPR points per game. Um, you know, he's got again alibis or bad quarterback play a terrible offense but he had that target share and he could still just barely do it and he's only being drafted as the tight end 16 right now so the market has lost faith in him as a tight end one and is, is there like a positive he's going to be 27 this season Evan Ingram he's not a great blocker he's kind of a dropper so basically, do you think there's any chance either this year or next that Evan Ingram kind of becomes – he needs to become like Jared Cook or Eric Ebron 2.0. That's kind of the career trajectory he's on. Or a talented, highly drafted tight end who actually did get opportunities on his rookie contract, flashed a little bit, but just more often than not disappointed. Uh, John, yeah, I'll start with you. Is there any chance he kind of gets on that Jared Cook, Eric Ebron trend line? It just seems like such an easy to player to wait and bet on in his second contract because the Giants will never get it right. Uh, was finally healthy for 16 games for the first time in his career last year. Uh, led the team with a 21% target share, like you said, but still finished with career lows despite all of that in catches and receiving yards per game, which we know are metrics that are usually sticky for tight ends year to year. Also now, that target share we can throw behind us and just toss it away because they added Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph to compete at the same position, get Saquon Barkley back. So these are more talented players fighting for targets now. They've also tried to trade Ingram for two seasons in a row to no avail. So I generally just think it's something like uh, he goes to free agency, the 49ers overpay him and they're just like, oh, we don't have to use Ross Dwell anymore. We have George Kittle and Evan Ingram. And then he like breaks out immediately following that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's happening. Like yeah. that, like j- just mark it down. That's happening. He's not going to be used correctly. I mean, he's been, I, I'm not the first one. I'm not even the 50th one to say that he's being used like Jason Witten in uh, the Giants offense. And that's, that's pretty tragic considering I think his, his potential while I am not an Evan Ingram truther, but I, I, I am flummoxed weekly during the season when Giants beat writers, fans and fantasy analysts call for Evan Ingram to get out of pro football because of the drops to leap to, for the giants to just cut them. It is a lot of drops. It's not that many. Hear me out. Okay. Evan Ingram's drop rate last year was 11.3%. Not wait, really not good. That's, that's actually way higher it's than I would have guessed. Not good. That's no, pretty high. <laughs> All right. 
George Kittle's was 14.4%. Okay. Uh, yes. A- Ingram is in, in the, you know, in the range of a, of an Eric Ebron, uh, of, of Zach Ertz last year, who obviously didn't, didn't have his best year. Anyway, what I'm saying is drops don't matter. And let's, let's, you know, let's get over it with Evan Ingram. And, I would do. Am I, am I targeting him in every draft? Do I want all the Evan Ingram? No, no, of course. I don't want anybody from that giants offense, but I, I, I do think that it is a bit overstated. And at some point in our lives, we will see Evan Ingram as a much desired fantasy player. Yeah. I mean, Titan 16 feels right to me because he is not being drafted at his ceiling. And that's a really reasonable floor, but like Evan Ingram is basically like a perfect second tight end to take. Even with Jason Garrett, even if they keep up the witnessation of his usage, <laughs> that's uh, a good word. God. Like as a as a tight end too, Evan Ingram is still a, a solid bet uh, to make. If someone, you know, if you have to drop him, you have to drop him. That's fine. And yeah, I was kind of like, there is no light at the end of the tunnel for Evan. Ingram, but you guys made there is light at the end of the tunnel. And and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I'm like, well, he's not a good comp for like a second contract breakout because he has already gotten this opportunity. But then, yeah, I remember during my own answer that like Eric Ebron and Jared Cook both got opportunities in their rookie deals, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't happen. It's just such a complex position. It just doesn't happen sometimes, even when you get given golden opportunities. And, yeah, I can see that actually happening with Evan Ingram, even if he face plants again this year. Pat, you need to create a thesaurus between nuisance back, jokerfication, witnessation. Uh, you're going to have to explain all of these verbs you're creating in season. Petersonian is my favorite. Yeah. I have done Petersonian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John. So yeah, we're we're at the end here. Your final one was Ohio State QBs. Correct. Um, so why is it the last chance for Ohio State QBs in the National Football League? Oh, it's the last time I take an Ohio State quarterback seriously. Otherwise, I'm just going to give up and let the cards fall where they may when they come into the league. Uh, we know Ohio State receivers are hard enough to get right since they so often are used as scheme players prior to being drafted as athletes with a particular role in mind by a head coach or front office. But as hard as it is to figure out those Ohio State wide receivers, Buckeyes quarterbacks still take the cake. And uh, grab some popcorn because we're just going to go along here because Troy Smith led the nation's number one team throwing to NFL receivers and Ted Ginn and Anthony Gonzalez, but he just sputtered out on those limited reps with the Ravens, if you remember. Terrell Pryor was extremely fun for fantasy, was still ultimately just a supplemental pick who wasn't an accurate NFL quarterback. Just fun since he played, recall that Browns game where they literally played him across the formation at every single position. Braxton Miller converted to wide receiver as the in, with the Texans. JT Barrett was buried behind Drew Brees for a majority of his career. Cardell Jones got benched in the XFL, which tells you everything you need to know about how he fared in the NFL. And of course, Dwayne Haskins, who wasn't evaluated properly to begin with since anyone outside of Washington wasn't as high as Dan Snyder, who infamously, his son went to prep school and was best friends with Haskins, which caused Snyder to overrule Jay Gruden on draft day. Like, we all know that story. But it all leads us still to our hero at Justin Fields, who everyone talks about Zach Wilson's big arm, whereas Justin Fields actually had the highest average completion rate, 20-plus yards downfield, as a terrific thrower. Justin Fields also a monster running the ball we know over 10 carries per game just last year in that eight game odd season runs a 4-3-40 at his pro day as well so he has all the tools but again we have seen players have all the tools as well from Ohio State at that position and just fail and so this is it the last hurrah for me if this guy fails who I truly believe the NFL got wrong in their evaluation they said the and you know you can listen to the Chris Sims podcast who made a lot of good points Chris Chris Sims is a voice of the NFL and said this is why the guys don't like him he was hearing from the top he has a quote-unquote baseball motion he steps into his throws like a pitcher and that's what they see and again I just think the front offices got him wrong because they're thinking about things that don't matter at all for an NFL quarterback so this is it fields prove us right for once wouldn't be the first time front office has focused on things that make absolutely no difference to NFL quarterback play. Uh, Really open your right. Cause uh, even though I don't want to root for Ryan pace, I really, really do. I will be so, so sad if Justin Fields fails and he will not fail. No, he will not fail. I don't believe, I don't believe he will. And I have a, a percolating take on Justin Fields that I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to make public yet, but the, uh, I have to, you know, do, do the research as I'm always told online. 
Justin Fields, his his rushing upside is, you know, he's RG3 type rushing upside from his rookie season. And we remember how that was. Just tremendous fantasy potential through and through. Uh, I, I, I do feel like the, the Bears kind of talking about Fields as a backup has made us, not, not all of us, but many of us forget what an extraordinary athlete he is. Uh, and I, I just don't think that that can be, be overstated. So whether you think they're going to stick with Andy Dalton for a few games, I know John's on the record as saying Andy Dalton gets one, one half of one game, which again, if you're, if you're right about that, you're Nostradamus. Like I'm Tom Savaged. I think I'm, I genuinely think I'm right. The question then becomes, do they go back to him in week two? That I can't predict, Holy but God. he is absolutely going to get benched at halftime. Uh, There's no way Andy Dalton will move the ball against the Rams at his age. There's no way. Uh, my my dog heard what you said. He got upset. I don't know if you, if you hear that. He's bar. He just heard the, the the prospect of Andy Dalton starting week two after getting benched week one. He's upset. I think he gets zero starts. By the way, Andy Dalton. And we're we're moving on to the Justin Fields era. We're also moving on to our shows later in the week. That does it for today's show. Check out our fantasy team preview series on the site. That is still rolling along for a few more weeks. Check out the draft guide. It really is amazing. Check out Denny's article where he talks to Titans beat writers about Derrick Henry's usage last season and what his usage will be. Just Derrick Henry's usage. A great article on Derrick Henry's usage. Thank you. From Mr. Denny Carter. And lots of other great stuff on the site from Karain, the Kyle Dvorak, the, the Daggle and the Tears. I've got my GM's rankings going up soon. So it's going to be a fun July over at NBC Sports Edge. For Denny... For John, I am Pat. We will catch you later this week. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.